You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's Light the Tower. Your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. Light it up on a Tuesday, Tuesday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app, head at hornfm.com. Apologies to the Colonel. Apologies to everybody. Starting a little bit late, but we are here doing a Tuesday show. I am Jeff Howe, Horns 24-7, at JeffHowe247 on Twitter. Not that interesting of a Twitter follow, so don't feel obligated to. But if you're in the need to, uh, just go ahead and... Uh, follow me on Twitter. Also, the Longhorn Blitz podcast, which we are going to record after this show is over. That's available on the Horns 24-7 podcast feed. Search Horns 24-7. It's Horns 247. 
Anywhere you get your podcast, click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Craig Way is not here today. Craig is traveling with the uh, – well, he's already traveled. He's in Ames with the men's basketball team. Uh, he will check in. He's supposed to check in at some point. I have not heard from Craig today. No dispatches from the voice of the Longhorns. But if Craig can check in, he will check in at some point so you guys can get your Craig Way fix. Behind the glass is our producer – Need to come up with a good intro for you. Ty Anderson, Ty pulling double duty after producing B&E this morning. What's up? Big win last night. It is a, yes. Monumental day in my life. It is a victory Tuesday edition of Light the Tower. Uh, we're going to get a Longhorn Notebook, bottom of the hour. Inconceivable to close out hour number one, as we always do. Longhorn Notebook number two comes up in hour number two. We've also got... Uh, our flex update in hour number two. So all of that coming at you on today's show. I'll, you know, we'll talk Longhorn basketball. Obviously, the game against Iowa State tonight. Also, we you know run down a little Longhorn football. Just not a lot in terms of you know just real meat on the bone in terms of news. But we'll go over a few things. We'll look at the NFL early entry draft deadline that came and went yesterday. The portal closes tomorrow, so you're kind of wrapping up the winter portion of. Uh, your roster movement, your talent acquisition cycle, the offseason portion of it is going to wrap up pretty much tomorrow. And we talked to Mike Roach. We've reported at Horns 24-7. Texas is pretty much done on the high school front for prospects in the class of 2023. We're really, I mean, with the exception of Deuce Robinson, and unless just something pops up, kind of falls in the lap of the staff, and it's a guy that they re- deem can help them win ball games. Uh, I think they're pretty much done for recruits in the 2023 class. A lot of the work they've been doing has been on the 2024 class. Sark and company have been out on the road. We talked about it on Friday, the first day they were out. They were all over our listening area, hitting various schools. So the focus for the Texas staff, especially with Junior Day coming up this weekend, has turned to the 2024 cycle. But we'll talk about that. And I also want to talk some Longhorn baseball today. Not too much, but just... It's about that time. A little on the periphery, the D1Baseball.com, Top 25, which there's a lot. Man, there's a ton of college baseball polls. Ty, you and I could start a college baseball poll, and somebody will recognize it as a legitimate poll. But the one I choose to follow, uh, just because I've known this guy for a long time, and I really, really value his work. I know the work that he and Aaron Fit and the team at D1 Baseball uh, put into that's Kendall Rogers, he and his crew. I really trust what they do. Uh, I know they're very passionate about college baseball. So anytime I refer to rankings in college baseball, I don't use the coaches poll or collegiate baseball, baseball America. I like going to the D1Baseball.com top 25. Texas not ranked in the top 25 to start the year. They're on the outside looking in. And I do want to get to that uh, a little bit during the show today. But, Tyrus, it's Victory Tuesday because last night – the Dallas Football Cowboys got themselves a win. What jersey are you rocking today? T.O., 81. Tie, 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 tie. I know. I didn't really think about the no. San Francisco or the Eagle you for, implications of wearing this. but You're rocking the jersey of, other than like Greg Hardy, maybe my least favorite Cowboy really? ever. Yes. I, I can... As a Cowboys fan, I can never get over what Terrell Owens did at Texas Stadium when with he was the, with the 49 The whole star incident? Yes. And the only the only thing that I – the one thing I really regret from that, I really wish George Teague had just 
launched himself into T.O. just a little bit harder. It's almost like George Teague pulled up a little bit like, I know I could obliterate him right now, but I'm just going to send a little message. Like, I don't want to get fined, but just send a little message. Yes, I'm not a big Terrell Owens fan He was at all. He was there with the Cowboys in my formative you know, Dallas Cowboys years with the that's that's my quarterback, Tony Romo, press. That was the that, that was after the was that after, that was after the Patrick Creighton game, was it not? Uh, I, that, that's I mean, I by the that way that's at the how, end of a playoff game. I think that was in the middle of the season. That's how I'm always going to refer to the uh, divisional loss for the Giants in 07. That's the Jessica Simpson Patrick Creighton game. And with Terry Glenn, they threw to him in the last play. Was that, that <laughs> I, game? Don't, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever get over that. But I'm not talking about bad stuff this morning, Cowboys fans. We're talking about a win. Ty it wasn't even close last night. Uh, the Cowboys dominated. Let's get the bad out of the way, dude. Brett Maher, like that was rough. That is, it's stupefying. Like really, like there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to miss four extra points. And like, did you see Dak's reaction? I think it was to the second one. He slams his helmet down. He said, "Let's blank and go for two. So I think that's what everybody was thinking of that. And they point. never went for two. They though. never went for two. No, they let Money Maher get uh, get in the rhythm a little bit. I'll tell you what the the two things that uh, yes, thank you, Frick Nasty ATX. No sad Johnny Cash songs today. Cowboys fans, wave your flag proudly. Let everybody know that you're rocking that star with the silver and blue. What you know, a couple things tied. The the amount of pressure they got on Tom Brady and just how how kind of out of sync the Bucks passing game was all night was tremendous. You know, it's 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 really weird. Like when you watch great athletes, I remember watching you know some of my favorites like Michael Jordan in his Wizards run there at the end. Like when you're like, okay, this isn't really this is kind of sad to watch. Or Emmitt Smith pretty much his entire run with the Cardinals or or Ken Griffey Jr. at the end when he had a, <laughs> he was playing with the. I think it was with the Mariners. He had a walk-off hit, and just watching him try it around first, I'm like, my Lord, that is painful and sad. Peyton Manning. Yeah. it's Oh, yeah, Peyton Manning at the end where it's like, dude, just don't throw the football and I mean, we'll be okay. They still somehow won a Super Bowl. That's yeah. still it's crazy to me. Yeah. Oh, somebody on the text line says that that's my quarterback was after the, the fumble in Seattle. Okay, maybe that. I knew it was no, after one of those Chris. No, I don't think it was. It wasn't, no. I wanna, was not on that, that Dallas team. I want to say it was after the Patrick Creighton game. I really think I it was think after it, the Patrick Creighton. That was game. a playoff game, though, that you're referring to, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was after. Was it I think, in the middle I, of the season? I think it was. Okay. I'll, I'll do some research on but it. But at any rate, uh, you know, the, the, the way the Cowboys just rattled Tom Brady and the Bucks passing game was out of sync. And really, the Bucks aren't a team that runs the football a ton anyway. But once that game got to, you know, tie probably about 18, once it got to 18 nothing, they weren't running the football. Leonard Fournette and whoever else they were going to try to hand it to, it, was, uh, it just wasn't happening at that point. And man, other really other than the the one shot to Julio Jones where he got by, uh, you know, it was just a really good play by the Bucks, a really good read by Brady. Other than that one deep shot they hit, there just wasn't a whole lot happening for the Bucks on offense last night. But the Cowboys really controlled the line of scrimmage. And the the best thing though for me was I I had to text uh, Chad and Zay because when I was on with those guys last week, I said, man. I really wish the Cowboys would use Dak's legs more than they do, which is none right now. And what do we see? What do we see on the fourth and goal, right? That little boot, the quarterback run. Love that. That was awesome. But, man, Kellen Moore, his money down play calling last night, that's as good as a play caller can be on third and fourth down. 
Yeah, way to step up in the moment. I mean, it, dude, it just seemed like every time the Cowboys were in a money-down situation, it got to a point where you feel like, I don't know what he's going to call, but they're going to convert. And, like, Dak was in a rhythm. It, maybe the best performance of Dak Prescott's career. Even Zeke Elliott looking very slow and downtrodden on a goal-to-go run didn't even damper the mood last night. Everything was great for the Cowboys. Now it's a matter of going to San Francisco and facing the 49ers in a divisional game. Much different animal than you're going to see from the Bucks. not just in terms of how good they are, but stylistically. You, you, what Tampa run the ball last night? Tied nine times? Ten times? I know Rashad White had seven rushes for like 40 yards. Okay, then it was probably like 12 because Fournette had five, I think, five or six. So it was. By the way, you were right about the Terrell Owens. That was after the 2007 loss in the playoffs to the Giants. It was after the Patrick yeah. Creighton game. Okay, cool. I, I figured I was right. Yeah. Okay. It's good, good to know that my uh, – my worthless Cowboys knowledge is good for something at some point. So that ca- the Cowboys are going to go to Levi Stadium to play the division around against the 49ers. Boy, then the, it, it, it's the Eagles or the Giants. I'll tell you what, man. I uh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. I at least respect the Giants as an organization. It's a well-coached football team now. I at least respect the Giants. And I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a Bill Parcells truther. I love me some Bill Parcells and and the Parcells Belichick tandem. If you go back and look through the history and the game plan they put together for Super Bowl twenty five, love Bill Parcells. Respect the Giants, dude. I I would love nothing more though than like the Eagles to win that game and the Cowboys can go to Philly and beat the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. I know I'm getting way ahead of myself at this point. That's kind of the scenario that I'm thinking of, that I would love to see that. And, you know, I haven't really gotten into this, tie, but my like, my disdain for the Philadelphia Eagles, you know what it's – it goes back to two things. One, uh, the first Cowboys-Eagles game I remember watching was in that 91 season when the Cowboys went 11-5 and and Troy Aikman got sacked in a game at Texas Stadium like 11 times, 12 times, whatever it was. And the Cowboys, they had already had the Buddy Ryan, Jimmy Johnson beef going on before that. And looking back at that now, now that I'm old enough to like pull up the films and everything, that stuff is great. But after that, so I didn't like the Eagles at, at that point. And then when Michael Irvin's laying on that painted concrete at Veterans Stadium. And they were and, cheering. Yeah. And they were cheering. Have you ever heard Bill Burr's rant against the city of Philadelphia? Yeah. That's that's how I feel thinking back about that moment. Yeah, no, I mean, I, last night I was thinking ahead a little bit, but I have a buddy who's an Eagles fan, and he was he was over watching the game, and we were talking about if the matchup potentially does happen in the NFC Championship about going to Philadelphia to watch that, and I was like, you know what, I might, I don't think I would make it out of that stadium alive. Hell no, dude, I you couldn't pay me enough, especially to, the way I act, to go sit with that crowd. No, no way. Uh, if you ever read back to like the snowball game when uh, the Cowboys, the Eagles fans were chucking snowballs at Jimmy Johnson and the Cowboys, and like they were put, putting batteries in the snowballs, like the, I, there was so many arrests during that game, it was nuts. But what we're talking about is last night the Cowboys getting it done uh, against the Tampa Bay Bucks, thirty-one fourteen win the division round. Ty, did you take anything? Uh, like I said, that was my main takeaway. Just Kellen Moore's money down play calling last night. I thought it was just so on point. Uh, the defense getting back on track, having Leighton Vanderush out there, I thought was huge. Um, he, I know he makes a run game or run stopping is what he's mainly there yeah. for. But him dropping back into coverage, you know, getting that deep drop last night, he had several breakups and almost two intercept. He had two close calls with interceptions. Uh, having him back, I think, will be huge next week. And then hopefully Javon Kirsch is healthy. Going yeah, I was going to say, is there any update on J. Ron Kirsch? I haven't seen that. I also haven't seen anything on Russell Gage after. Yeah, dude, that was, man, my wife and I were watching the game, and 
I immediately, when I saw him try try to get up and like his leg and left leg and arm kind of twitched, and I was like, dude, dude that's not that's not good. I, I missed it. I, it I, was, I looked away and then looked down, and someone was like, oh, he fell down. I it, was it was bad. The same thing. As last and you Monday. know what, man? Like Donovan Wilson did that a few times last night. Like I know he did it to Chris Godwin once. And uh, I forget. I know I saw him do it a different time. He did it a couple times after that play. I'm like, dude, you probably just need to pull up a little bit, man. He's that kind of safety. I though. know he is. I know he is. And he's kind of that throwback safety. He'll just throw his body recklessly into people. That's Donovan Wilson style. But man, that's uh, that was definitely not a good thing. Yeah, I haven't seen what what was going on with Jaron Curse after last night. Uh, I'm trying to look on the Twitter machine see if there's an injury. I think it was a knee. It so. looked. Yeah. You, you, oh man, it looked bad because like you saw. I forgot who rolled into him, but you see him kind of get rolled into on that knee, and the knee just bends at an angle where the human knee should not bend. And he's already had lower body issues this year. I don't know if it was that knee, but, I mean, that's he's a guy that completely changes the, the defense when he's out there. Yeah, he's been really good. You know, I, I always give the Cowboys grief about being cheap when it comes to safety, uh, when it comes to really the secondary period, but he's been really good. Uh, you know, Deron Bland is like some of the young guys in the late round picks they've gotten at those the safety positions and in the secondary period. I mean, what was Anthony Brown? Anthony Brown was like a fifth or sixth round pick. I know he's hurt right now, but look at the kind of valuable player Anthony Brown's turned out to be well, as a fifth or sixth round. Xavier pick. Rhodes being out there is kind of worrisome. He got he got toasted a few times last night. Yeah, but I mean that's a guy coming off the street. You I, know the fact that you have to play him. It, yeah, but because that's what you're down to at this point. Uh, but I don't know that that really impacts you. Uh, against the 49ers as much as a guy like Jaron Curse would, a guy that could come down and run support. Because, man, you want to talk about diverse run schemes, you're going to get all you can handle from Kyle Shanahan that 49ers offense. As much as I don't like the 49ers, uh, I do I do love me some Kyle Shanahan. And I, I just love the way kind of his offensive philosophy, like the way they get Kittle involved and the way they use use check and – uh, you know, it's it's really interesting. We talked about about it a lot on Longhorn Blitz. Kind of the way Kyle Shanahan has taken the Mike Shanahan run game, put his own spin on it, uh, and it really is about positionless football. When you think about Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and the weapons they have, Christian McCaffrey, uh, it's going to be a really good test for that Cowboys defense. And hopefully, hopefully they got J. Ron Curse. But, yeah, that knee did not look good last night at all. So, Ty, uh, the divisional round is set. Anything really jump out at you? By the way, I think uh, I know the Bengals. Uh, what did I see? Jonah Williams had a dislocated kneecap. Yeah, they're down four of the original starting five offensive linemen. Yeah, so anything really jumping out at you in the division around outside of let's see if the Cowboys can go uh, go beat Pump Fake Purdy in the 49ers this um, weekend. I mean the the Bills Bengals game. Obviously, just being able to have that one play out after what happened a few weeks ago, I think that will be the best game. I think the Bills will come out on top, but the, a game that will be closer than expected, will, I think, will be the Giants-Eagles matchup. It, that's sitting out at like a seven and a half line right now. I could see that easily being a four to you know one score game at least. You know, the Giants are hot right now. Saquon's healthy. Um, Daniel Jones not making mistakes, and the Eagles. I mean, they haven't been uh, healthy or had all their guys out there in over a month now. It feels like or it seems like. Man, yeah, um, dude, the child like. Is Brian Dayball NFL Coach of the Year? He's got to be. I mean, I, I, mean, I Dan, see a lot of Sirianni talk, but he turned Dan that Campbell, team Dan, Dan Campbell would be in that mix, too, for what the Lions did late. If they uh, got in the playoffs, I think it would have been Dan yeah, Campbell. Yeah, but, dude, Brian Dayball, like the Giants have been horrible the last few years. And it's not like they just had, you know, 
this glut of draft picks that they just assembled this roster on it's the, the fly. It's the same roster from last yeah. year, so, plus guys off the street. Day, that receiving core is uh, Richie James, who was a practice dude, Mar- squad guy. Lifetime and- Longhorn Marcus Johnson. I didn't even until Rod and Matt told me last week on the Blitz. I didn't even know Marcus Johnson was still in the league. I, he's been that's a guy that has been on like the fifth or sixth receiver on like three teams, <laughs> like in Pittsburgh, and you just never notice till you're out there. And it's like, is that the same Marcus Johnson? Because I barely even remember Marcus him playing Johnson, at Texas friend at this of the point. show, by the way. Craig and I had Marcus Johnson on during uh, during the pandemic when we were that whole weird time of trying to broadcast shows. We had Marcus Johnson on for one of those shows. Yeah, Marcus Johnson's. Hodgins, who they pulled off the Bills practice yeah, squad man. Like two weeks ago. Yeah, man. It's It's been wild to see what the Giants have done. But, uh, you know, for me as a like as a kid, knowing who the, the big teams in the NFL were, to go into the divisional round and you see the Cowboys, the Giants, the 49ers. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. And the Eagles, like it's there's something like oh, if only the Packers were in there, I'd be like okay. I mean the Bills. 1994 is back, is kind of and I love 90s, the playoff yeah, even with the Bills. Yeah, the Bills are in there. Uh, you know, if you want to go back a little further, I mean the Bengals, because when I was a kid, like I said, one of my first sports memories is the Bo Jackson hip game. I think that they're going to be the next team to go. Yeah, dude, that I means one of the I mean, big contenders to go. Like you're talking about, I mean, they're just so decimated up front. I mean. Well, I don't, what's Trey Hopkins up to? Can they bring Trey Hopkins in off the street? I don't think he got picked up this year. I don't know if he's – I don't know if Trey's staying in shape or what or if he's just thinking about what's next in football, but who knows? I don't know. We'll see. Um, all right, we'll take a break. We'll switch gears. Uh, not so much NFL talk when we come back, but we'll talk about uh, the Longhorn football, Longhorn basketball and baseball also on the menu. Inconceivable is going to close out hour number one. Uh, and then we'll get to some more Longhorn talk, more football talk, and a little bit of everything in hour number two. Specs text line is open, 337-3776. We'll take your questions, comments, thoughts. Otherwise, and we'll keep doing it when we come back here on Light the Tower, on the Horn, live, local, and digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Biggie. Rolling along, hour number one of Light the Tower on the Horn. Jeff Howe, Ty Henderson sitting in with you, Craig Way. Craig will join us uh, at the top of the 11 o'clock hour, right around 11.05 before he leaves for the shoot-around. He'll join us by phone. So that's when Craig will be on with us. Uh, Specs text line is open, 337-3776. And I already kind of know where uh, one of these uh, one texter is going. We'll talk Texas-Iowa State. You know what? We'll just go ahead and do that right now in the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. It's a Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert, BowersockTeam.com. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda when they made the move to Georgetown, made that process so easy for them. Uh, took a big burden off of their plate uh, by getting that done. Let Aaron do that for you. It's BowersockTeam.com. Aaron Bowersock, she is your home loan expert. All right, coming up tonight, uh, 7 o'clock. It's Texas and Iowa State. I mean, 6.30 pregame with Craig and Eddie from Ames. 7 o'clock tip. Yes, it is on ESPN Plus. 
and I was waiting for the first text. Potato Head brought it. How the hell is tonight's game on ESPN Plus? That's a shame. Should be a great game. Well, Potato Head, I'll tell you exactly why it's on ESPN Plus. Because ESPN wants some subscriptions to ESPN Plus. And Texas and Iowa State fans who aren't in Ames at Hilton Coliseum, they're going to make you pay for it. So I'll tell you what, man, ESPN Plus, uh, you, you do get a couple of basketball games a year on there. Uh, to me, ESPN Plus pays for itself during baseball season. With the road baseball games, I feel like it. And what is it, Ty? I don't know. What, do you pay for ESPN Plus? Yeah, I love it. Okay, so I've got the the wife did the bundle thing with like ESPN and Disney, Disney and Hulu. Hulu. Yeah, my wife did the bundle deal where I actually was. I think I was paying nine ninety nine a month for ESPN Plus, and I think I saved like a dollar fifty or something by doing the bundle package. Which whatever. Okay, my daughter likes the Disney Plus, and my wife likes watching her shows on Hulu, so it works out for all three of us. Uh, but that's why Potato Head. ESPN, Disney, they want you to buy that ESPN Plus sub. Uh, they actually had some pretty good games on ESPN Plus. There was a ranked matchup uh, earlier this year. I want to say, was it maybe uh, maybe Kansas, uh, Kansas, Iowa State, maybe, was on ESPN Plus? I don't know, but they're, the Big 12, during basketball season, they will put one of these top 25 type games, they will put it on And all Plus. the NHL games are on there if you like hockey, too. Yeah, uh, shout out Tom McKay, by the way. I know Tom McKay likes uh, likes his NHL package. Uh, yeah, that's interesting, though. Like, I didn't uh, I didn't know, like, until I was scrolling through one night, I saw it's like, some okay, got hockey. I didn't know, like, ESPN Plus had, like, the NHL package. Oh, no, yeah, it's like. Yeah, it's like Sunday ticket for NHL. Any so like game if, that's not on TV. If you're a Buffalo Sabres fan living in, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, here. Yeah, if you're yeah living in, if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan living in Gerald, Texas, if you can rig up a satellite dish and that dial-up interconne- internet connection is strong enough, uh, you can get your Buffalo Sabres on ESPN Plus. So that's exactly why. All right, uh, Craig, did a, if you'll get your Craigway fix really in the eleven o'clock hour. But Craig did a one-on-one with Marcus Carr twice this year. He's been named Big Twelve Player of the Week. Uh, Texas going to Ames. A lot of the focus is on Tyrese Hunter's return, but uh, Marcus Carr has been a really big part uh, of what the Longhorns are doing. Played his, he's really played his best basketball of the season since. Uh, since the Chris Beard suspension and with Rodney Terry now as the interim head coach with Chris Beard no longer here, Marcus Carr continues to deliver, especially in the second halves of games. So uh, Craig talked to Marcus Carr uh, last night after uh, the Longhorns had a practice at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, you'll hear him get into his friendship uh, with Gabe Kalsher, uh, the Iowa State sharpshooter who probably, probably will pull up from a step past half court and start draining stuff tonight or attempt to. Uh, Kalsher was Probably the reason why Iowa State won the game against Texas in Ames last year, uh, and uh, and how they plan to stand with Tyrese Hunter. Uh, it's expected he's going to get a rough uh, response from the crowd in Ames, uh, but they'll stand behind their guy uh, Tyrese Hunter. So here it is, Craig's one-on-one interview with Texas guard Marcus Carr. So here we are in Ames, Iowa. You know this northern part of the country well, but this is unseasonable weather. Does it, does it seem weird to you that temperatures in the 50s in the dead of January up here? Uh, yeah, no, that's definitely not normal. Not what I'm what I was used to in the Midwest. So whoever's out here right now is definitely real lucky. The other thing that you were used to when you were in the Midwest in Minnesota is Gabe Kalsher. I know you guys are friends. You've gone up against each other already in the past. How much conversation do you have with a guy that plays at that high level for a team in your own conference because you guys are close? How much regular conversation do you have with him? Uh, You know, me and Gabe, you know, like you said, obviously we played together for a while, and, you know, that's my guy. That's my brother. We talk 
pretty regularly, but once we kind of get to conference play, you know, he's an extreme competitor and so am I. So we both kind of understand, you know, it's love. But when we're on the court, we're definitely at war. So we probably won't speak again until after our second meeting in Austin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. So, I mean, this starts with conference play, not just week of the game. I mean, yeah. it goes all the way back to the start of conference play. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're, we're locked in on the season. I know he is. He knows I am. So, you know, we're always wishing the best for each other always. But, you know, when it's time to go at it, it's time to go at it. What do you like best about what this team is doing right now, your team? Uh, I just like our poise. I like our confidence. And I like our togetherness. I think, you know, everything that we've been through and continue to go through is just making us stronger. And, you know, we're showing the ability to bounce back every single time. And, you know, I just love the resiliency of our team. The, the, the whole thing about having to come from behind, nobody wants that to happen. But is there enough comfort in how you guys are situated and what you talk about and what you adjust that if it does happen, even on the road, you can you can turn it around? Uh, yeah, just like you said, it's not something you know we're trying to do on purpose. Definitely something we have to work on and fix. But um, it has been a good sign early that you know we're able to you know come back from those situations because they do ha- uh, happen sometimes. And you know, like I said, uh, I'm proud of this team and our poise and the way we've been able to come back from situations. I know we were talking about Gabe, but obviously uh, you were instrumental with with Tyrese and his decision and wanting to come down. Do you get a vibe from him on what it's been like for him so far leading up to this game in his return back here to Ames? Uh, We're all aware, well aware of, you know, Tyrese's return here and, you know, probably what's going to what it's going to be like and the atmosphere is going to be like for him tomorrow but you know that's our brother we have his back he knows that and you know i know he's going to be out there giving it his all for us and we're going to do the same for him and, and i would imagine you guys are still confident in the things he can deliver even though he has hit a bump in the road like like everybody does yeah no everybody has bumps in the road everybody has you know stretches during the season i still think he's out there doing incredible things um some people may not think you know his box score says what they wanted to but at the end of the day he's helping us win and you know that's all that matters I think the main thing for Tyrese Hunter, other than getting the cramp situation figured out, which is something I talked to some Iowa State people, it's something he didn't deal with last year. Uh, I don't know what it is. I know when Chris Beard had talked about it, he said it was kind of a, a dieting, a diet issue. Uh, you know, Rodney Terry said they're still he's still working through some things there. Uh, but other than the cramping issues, I just think he's got to get his confidence back. And you know what? Uh, Marcus Carr was right on point there. Uh, by the way, shout out to Craig for the job he did on that interview with Marcus Carr. Good as always. Uh, that'll be podcasted a little later. Uh, if you uh, follow our podcast, go to hornfm.com or anywhere you get your podcast uh, to find any parts of the show you missed. But, you know, you look at his line the other night, Ty, before he went out, and I think he only played something like eight minutes in the second half. But you look at what Tyrese Hunter did when he was in there, and uh, actually, you know, I'm thinking about the TCU game. Uh, in the TCU game, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, he played 26 minutes, but he gave you six points. He only shot two of eight, but those were both threes. Six assists and four rebounds. Like if Tyrese Hunter, even if you have to manage his minutes, if he's giving you that kind of production, 6.6 assists, four rebounds, that's what you need from Tyrese Hunter, especially as good as Jabari Rice is playing. Like you don't need Tyrese Hunter to be a guy that goes out there and scores 20 points a night or 15 a night. If he can just give you that kind of production, you'll be good. Now you look at his line against Texas Tech, uh, scoreless on 0 for 4 shooting, 0 for 4 from 3. Uh one assist, two rebounds. He had a steal and a block, so not, not great. And we know he didn't play hardly at all in the second half. I think it was eight minutes, six minutes in the second half. Uh, actually, you know what? More than I thought. Tyrese Hunter played 14 minutes in the second half. But I think probably was it probably about the, I don't know, maybe like the seven-minute mark of the second half. He left and didn't come back in. So uh, that was it for Tyrese Hunter. 
against Texas Tech. But it is going to be rough for him tonight, you know, getting that ovation, and uh, don't expect the crowd to be treating him favorably in Ames. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's Craig's interview with Marcus Carr. Again, 6.30 with the pregame, 7 o'clock with the tip tonight from Hilton Coliseum. You can hear it on the Horn and on the Austin Radio Network. Not much to get to on the football front with the Longhorns. Uh, the, the early draft entry deadline came and went yesterday. At the end of it, not a lot of surprises for Texas. I think the two big pluses for Texas, really three. I'll, I'll go ahead and throw in a third, even though the third one was expected. He just made it official yesterday. I think getting to Vondre Sweat, Jalen Ford, and Jade Barron, getting those three guys back as kind of that heartbeat, that core of your defense, that's awesome for Texas. It's really weird, Ty, when you think about it. Like, Pete Kwiatkowski, if you think of all the coordinators Texas has had post-Will Muschamp, Pete Kwiatkowski is doing the opposite of what, like, Vance Bedford and Todd Orlando and Manny Diaz did, where it was started out really good and people wanted to make Manny Diaz or Todd Orlando the head coach in waiting, and then two years later they were fired. Or in Manny Diaz's case, less than two years they were fired. Now, I try to avoid things falling off the desk here. Now, you know, PK the first year was abysmal. It's one of the worst defenses Texas has had, and we saw marked improvement last year. And with that core returning, and again, if you get what you hope to get out of Jalen Catalan if he's healthy, uh, Maybe if you get some improved play on the edges with how good you are at corner, and that Texas defense could probably I'm not it's not a stretch to say Texas could have one of the best defenses in the country in twenty twenty three. So I like the PK's just taking that model and just doing the opposite of it where start low and then get better, hit that upward trajectory, and then by year do three, you, maybe after next year, people won't want to name Pete Kwiatkowski head coach in waiting for do, Sark. Do you think that he'll run more four down or four down fronts? I think it's going to depend. I think it's going to depend on edge personnel. You know, last year they were so deep at D tackle, and and this I actually like this adjustment that he made. They're so they were so deep on interior defensive linemen that there were a lot of three man fronts where you would see like Coburn, Ojemo, and Sweat on the field at the same time, or whatever combination of those three interior linemen, and then you would have like Ovia Gofu or Baron Sorrell, somebody out on the edge. Uh, playing that that stand up position, that those hybrid edge outside the hybrid D end outside linebacker positions. Texas just calls them edge positions in their defense. Is there another SEC team that runs a three man front? Um, you know, uh, uh, Georgia does. Georgia runs some three man front. Bama runs some three man front because Nick Saban and Kirby Smart is basically the same Small defense. Pool. Yeah. Um, you know, Arkansas under Barry Odom did because they ran that that overhang, the, the, the look with the overhang safety, the three high safety look with three down linemen, and then you've got the kind of the overhang. Jalen Catalan was their kind of overhang safety that he would come down in the box and was really the move guy for them, the guy that could shift around. So yeah, there's a the the, the three man front you do see it quite a bit in the SEC. I mean, it's t- the four man front, the true like tried and true four man front is tough to run because of. When you face tempo, you face teams that want to spread you out and run the ball. Like you've got to have guys on your as your at your edge positions that can drop in coverage and really allow you to be a multiple front. If you don't have that, teams will the, the really good offensive coordinators and man, I can't think of a different time another time tie where we've had as many like bright minds on the offensive side of the ball, especially in the Big Twelve, uh, like up and coming guys. And and you when Texas goes in the SEC, it's going to be the same thing when you're facing a you know. Uh, Elaine Kiffin, uh, just go down the list of the other, you know, uh, Josh Heupel at Tennessee. Uh, I don't know how much longer Todd Monken is going to be at Georgia, but what he's done to reinvent that offense, you know, you're going to continue to see really good play callers in the SEC, and you see them in the Big 12 week after week. 
man, if they find a weakness or or you're just kind of playing one static front, they will like destroy you. They will gut you on game day. So you've got to be able to be multiple. You've got to be able to have guys on the edge that can act as hybrid players. And Stoner makes a great point uh, on the Specs text line. And, and I thought about this too, Stoner. I'll, I'll, I'll end this notebook with this thought. So the previous DCs inherited more developed players than PK did. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I said that last year. And it's really interesting when you think about when the D coordinators got to Texas, when they came into those jobs, like when Manny Diaz came into that job in 2011, right? Almost the entire defense returned for Will Muschamp. I mean, you had two All-American caliber linebackers with Manny Acho and, and Keelan Robinson. You know, Jackson Jeffcoat, Jordan Hicks, Adrian Phillips, those guys were a year older. So, yeah. I think that defense was ready to take off in 2011, regardless of who the coordinator would have been. You can say the same thing about 2014. Malcolm Brown had an All-American season. You had Quandre Diggs as a senior. Mikel Thompson as a senior played well enough to get drafted in the fifth round by the Giants. Jordan Hicks came back and was an All-American. Cedric Reed was a really good player for Texas. So, again, you know, you saw the 2013 defense struggle by the end of the year. In 2013, Texas was playing really good defense under Greg Robinson, so you felt like the late, great Greg Robinson, by the way, you felt like whoever the coordinator was going to be in 2014, Texas was going to have a pretty good defense. You say the same thing for 2017. It felt like Charlie Strong was building toward that 2017 defense, knowing those guys that they signed in that 2015 recruiting class, Malik Jefferson, Deshaun Elliott, Holton Hill, Charles Amenahu. By the time those guys were third-year guys, they felt like they were going to have an elite defense, and Todd Orlando put an elite defense on the field. Uh, with P.K., it seemed like when Tom – and Tom Herman even talked about it. He was building to that 2020 season. That's what, as an organization, they had been building towards was that 2020 season. And I think, again, the inverse, regardless of who the coordinator was going to be in 2021, on defense, you were going to have to reload because you knew you had a lot of draft-eligible guys, you had a lot of seniors, you were going to lose a lot off of that 2020 defense going into 2021 whether it was Chris Ash coming back for another year or somebody new, the defense was going to take a step down. I don't think now, granted, I didn't anticipate it taking as far of a step down as it did, but there was going to be a little bit of a drawback because, again, building towards that 2020 season, it felt like Mac Brown and Charlie Strong left Texas a year before they felt like they were probably going to have their best team. I think Mac probably felt like if he had gotten the 14 season, like Texas probably could have gone and won the Big 12. I know Charlie Strong felt like if he had, if he had managed to get to 2017, that he felt like they could have a really special team, but those guys didn't. Those two coordinators reaped the benefits of that. Uh, it was just the opposite for PK. That's just my opinion. I was thinking about that this morning, actually. So I was thinking about that and wanted to get that out there to close out this edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Comeback Inconceivable is going to close out hour number one here on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 Inconceivable! You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. All right, Ty. I got a couple. Got two for inconceivable today. Uh, have you? I'll, 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 I can nerd out on sports cards with Ty here because he's in the hobby like I am. Ty, have you heard about this lawsuit involving the uh, LeBron RPA? Yes, I have. All right. So just run this down real quick. Don't want to belabor the point. So there's a LeBron James rookie card. It's from the Upper Deck, the 2003 Upper Deck Exquisite, which back in the day there was no better product than Upper Deck Exquisite. It's you know 
think about National Treasures or Flawless or something like that. Now that's what Upper Deck Exquisite was. You've got this LeBron James rookie patch autograph, numbered to 99. Uh, it's from the Exquisite Collection, uh, yeah, numbered to 99. Uh, Alan Spiegel and Steven Spiegel own one of the cards. Uh, they're buyers, collectors, and sellers of high-end sports memorabilia and are claiming that a deal they made with Golden Auctions, a noted sports memorabilia auction house, uh, has been tarnished because of an online account that has been trolling the brothers and accusing them of hawking a fake card to the auction house. As a result of the account known as Card Porn, yeah, you can yep. look that up. They're I on follow, Instagram. Card Porn is on Instagram. <laughs> uh, on both Twitter and Instagram, Golden has decided Golden decided to pull uh, their deal with the Spiegels. Uh, this drama all began in late May and ran until June 2021 when the Spiegels listed their rare LeBron patch card for sale by Golden. According to the court documents, uh, soon after the card went up, card porn began posting, quote, false, libelous, and defamatory written posts on Instagram and on various sports memorabilia chat rooms and sites alleging that the LeBron patch card was not authentic. Taking it one step further, the lawsuit alleges that someone claiming to be the person or persons behind the card porn account called up the auction house and, quote, asserted that the LeBron patch card was inauthentic. Unfortunately, that card had already hit the market and bids were phenomenal, as high as $690,000 at the time. The estimated market value and predicted sale price of the LeBron patch card was approximately $2 million. Now, basically, in a nutshell, what card porn is alleging is they've got apparently photos of this card that shows the patch inside the card has been swapped out. So there was a legit LeBron James jersey patch in the card. The patch didn't look right. It got swapped out. Another patch was put in its place. The Spiegel brothers say they have a letter from Upper Deck saying, no, this is a legit card. It was patch swapped. Somebody turned it in as a damaged card, and we just swapped it out for another. But card porn went to Upper Deck, and Upper Deck is basically saying they were pressured into putting this letter together and that it's not happening. They can't confirm whether it's fake or not. So, yeah, start running your mouth on social media. You might wind up at the center of a $6 million lawsuit. From all the evidence I've seen them post, I do follow that account. It, it seems like it is. Something sketchy is definitely going on. And, Ty, now you know why I don't deal in high-end sports cars, man. There's just too, you run the risk of just too much bad stuff happening, man. People have too much time to fake stuff. Fake patches and fake autos and all kinds of stuff running around. And now you've got people passing off custom cards as real cards. But this is like a million, million dollar plus item right here. I yeah, mean, man. They're not messing around. Yeah, and that thing was projected to fetch two mi- probably six million at the time. The value on it now is probably two million. So you're talking talking that much seven figures plus for a sports car. See that's why I buy big retail box or big hobby boxes though. Just the off chance I do pull something that will be that changed my life like a car what's, like that. What's the best what's the best pull you've ever had? Uh probably that Bailey Zappy out of five. What'd you end up selling that for? Like oh, a little over fifteen hundred. It's wild man. I'm trying to think of the best pull I've ever had. I can't think of it. Oh, you know what? I'll tell you exactly what it was. There was a card shop in Killeen back in the day over by the mall. And uh, I loved Press Pass because I love college football. And, and I love when the Press Pass and Sage and all that stuff would come out. And uh, I pulled it. It was a Press Pass. It was an on-card Josh Booty autograph. I forget what it was number two, but it was a low-numbered card. And I asked the shop owner, man, can I, just, I don't really want this card. Can I trade it for a pack of something else? He's like, sure, man. Pick whatever you want. Because he was excited about a Josh Booty low-numbered card, so I grabbed a pack of Sage, and the auto I pulled in that card was a LaDainian Tomlinson rookie auto numbered 250, which I still have, by the way. Yeah, so I love that card. All right, let's uh, get to one more before we wrap it up. Uh, Ty, Cal Berkeley 
On their campus, a worker found a human skeleton in an unused residence building. Skeletonized remains, human remains were found in an unused residence hall on the campus of the University of California, Berkeley. Have you ever been out to that campus? I have not. I've never been to California. You ever been to Cali, period? Nope. Dude, I'm telling you, the best press box view that I've ever had. Now, I'm not just talking about for a game, but the best press box view in all my road travels. Go to the in the Cal Berkeley press box, looking out the backside of it over San Francisco Bay at sunset. Perfect, man. Just awesome, awesome view. Uh, but what's not awesome is the skeleton was found in the shuttered, graffiti-ridden building on the Clark Kirk campus on January 10th. But it remains unclear how many years the remains were there. That's according to police. The building is a residential hall complex and event space that sits roughly a mile from the main campus and has not been occupied for many years. Police said there are no outstanding cases of missing persons from the Berkeley campus. Community University students received a campus alert on Friday, KTVU reported. The unidentified man who was working in the area when the skeleton was discovered told the outlet that it did, didn't surprise him that much. They quote, there's a lot of homeless activity around here, so it was an abandoned building, so figured probably something like that happened. He said the Alameda County coroner will determine the cause of death. Fox News Digital has reached out to the campus and its police department for updates. Uh, the university is about 10 miles from downtown San Francisco. So, yeah, man, dude cleaning a cleaning a hall and found a, found a skeleton. That's, that, that would ruin my afternoon. Yeah, say the least. <laughs> You think we'd find some of that if we walked, wandered into some of these closets uh, in and around the ARN uh, compound? There, there's been a lot of employees here. There's some of those doors, man, that I haven't seen opened, and maybe some I don't want to open around here. Who knows what happens, especially uh, especially after the uh, the snowmageddon, after the ice storm. There was a bunch of people staying up here, right? Yeah, when allegedly they were, the bathrooms were no bueno, and it was pancakes stacking up in the bathroom, if you know what I mean. It was... It was rough. It was rough. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up next here on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com.